Hello, everybody. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to the Grace to Grow podcast. I am Hannah. And you know what? Today we're going to need the Grace to Grow. Um, so yeah, let's just, let's just get it started. Let's just jump right in, as the YouTubers would say. We're going to jump right into this video, except it's not a video. So we're going to jump right into this podcast. Okie dokie. I'm going to pray first and then we'll get started. Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us here and allowing us to see another beautiful day that you have made, God. We thank you so much for the wonderful ways that you have been working recently and just all that you've been doing for us uh, in our life, God. We appreciate you. We love you. And I pray that everything I'm about to say in this podcast is just going to be encouraging and uplifting to me right now, as well as my future self. Lord, thank you for the word that you have given me through Bible study yesterday. And I just pray that I'm able to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. The thing is, is that I have way too much energy for somebody who does not feel good. Like, for me to... Hold on. (coughs) I felt a burp and a cough come up at the same time. And I really had to pick which one was going to win. And so... um. (laughs) No, but for someone who, for someone who has been so exhausted recently, like I actually have quite a bit of energy. And I think what's energized me today was number one, the reading lesson that I did today in class went really, really well. Like we had good participation. Students seemed like they were getting it. Felt good. Um, and also I had just got off the phone with my best friend and it's always a good time. It's always a blast with her. So that was good. And I've just been feeling overall like every now and then I feel like a piece of trash. <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind as Katy Perry once say? Every now then every now and then I do feel like that, like a plastic bag drifting through the wind. But today I don't feel like that. Like I started out this morning feeling like that, started out feeling horrible, but now I actually feel quite okay. So what we're going to be talking about today is Bible study. Yesterday was my first day attending Bible study at Living Faith Bible Fellowship, which is the church that I've been attending recently. And, you know, last semester I was visiting a bunch of different churches. All of the churches that I visited, I actually quite liked, but none of them as much as Living Faith. I think there's a difference between liking and being interested in churches versus finding, excuse me, I just keep burping, 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 like, <coughs> cut it out. Excuse me. Okay. I think it's because I just had some LaCroix, and so, you know, that gets you a little bit bubbly. But, um, yeah, so I was attending all these different churches, really enjoyed going to the churches. But the thing about visiting churches is that you, as an adult, don't just pick a church based off of whether you like it or not. You're picking a church based off of whether it is for you or not, whether that is where God is leading you. And I just feel like consistently... Going to Living Faith has given me uh, just like the renewal that I need each week versus other churches that I've been to. And the other churches are really cool and have a lot to offer. Like one that was in kind of competition with Living Faith in my heart was this place called Crossover. And I really enjoyed Crossover. I thought it was a great church. I loved that they had concerts there. That was actually the place that I went to when I met Stephen Malcolm, when I met Zanti. And I saw KB perform live. Like, that was where that happened. And I loved that. I really appreciated that they created that environment. And it was a really cool, like, hip-hop church that I enjoyed going to. But nothing like living faith. Like, when I went to living faith, I just felt this, like, refreshment. 
that I didn't quite feel at Crossover. Like at Crossover, they had like a bunch of different ways of trying to get your attention. And I just felt like Living Faith wasn't trying to get my attention, but was trying to focus my attention on God. And I feel like both are helpful because whenever you are looking for a church that is providing those things that you are interested in or that you need, then those are the places that you go. And I feel like I'm just in a different mind frame right now and in a different season that is causing me to have different needs. And so being at Living Faith has been very helpful. So I've gotten plugged in last Sunday or two Sundays ago. I went to church and um, basically I went to church with my friend Alexia, who I had met the previous day. We both went to a basketball game together and ended up going to church together. And so we went together. We're talking yada yada Susan. We're talking to the lady in front of us who because there's this guy named Amin that came and he runs the Southside Rabbi podcast. Y'all know I love Southside Rabbi because it's got KB and his best friend Amin and they're just hilarious. They're a wonderful duo. And so he actually, him and KB both go to Living Faith. And so I was like, oh my gosh, when Amin walked in, I was like, oh my gosh, I know him. I love him. Like he has a wonderful podcast and I'm sharing that with Alexia and the lady in front of us was like, yeah, I listen to their podcast too. Yada, yada, Susan. We start talking, small talk, all that stuff like that. She starts telling us about Bible study. Boot about a bam. We get to the end of service. There's a girl behind us who was like, hey, do y'all like, I heard y'all talking about Bible study. I want to join Bible study too. I was wondering if y'all want to join. Cool beans. Then we all start talking. She asking us if we go to USF. We all find out that all of us go to USF. It was cool. And it was like dope too because it happened in such an authentic way. And it happened that was really cool because now I have like, black friends that go to church like i don't know and they're girls too so it's like really dope and we haven't really done much like we don't hang out all the time but it's just cool to see familiar faces i think and it's cool to know that like when i pull up at the church house again i'm gonna have two people that i can talk to and sit next to and have a good time with. you know what i mean and so i just love that feeling and i love being able to have people in my circle that are like that like we're not close we're not talking about the deepest stuff but i mean when me and alexia were hanging out at the basketball game Honestly, we got into some pretty interesting conversations. We started talking about a lot. And so that's actually how we found out that both of us went to church. And so just anywho, it happens in an authentic context. I ended up joining this Bible study. And so yesterday was my first day going to that Bible study. And this is what I mean. When you are truly here to love people and truly here to support people, you create a space in which authentic environments are able to happen and people are able to make good connections. And I think that was truly just a God thing in that moment that he made all of these connections happen so that I could get plugged into a wonderful place. And I just think that that's really amazing. And I love God for that because that's how he does, he does everything. Like that's how I got plugged into the navigators because I heard about the navigators from a girl who was in my cohort. Like that's how I ended up getting all these different friendships and going through all of these different experiences because of the various connections that God was making. And so with that being said, God just continued to make connections yesterday. And I felt in my brain, I felt my brain enlarge yesterday as I was learning more information and just going through more stuff that um, was interesting about the word of God. So Bible study is basically a Bible study that Jackie Hill Perry did, and it's studying Jude. And so she's going through it. It's called Contending for Faith or something like that. I saw a lot of her promotion for it whenever she had first come out with it um, because I follow her on YouTube and stuff like that. So I had seen her Bible study, but I had never actually participated in it. And so yesterday we participated in it. I did not get the book yet. 
So like there's a book that goes along with it. And I don't even know if I'm really going to get the book because I think I might just, I think they're almost done with it. So I don't want to purchase something and then it'd be over with or whatever, whatever. So I'll see, I'm gonna look into it. However, what we talked about yesterday was so deep and I'm so excited to share that I just really enjoyed it. And it made me feel like I was learning a lot. There are so many connections that God kept bringing up in my mind as we were going along that was really helping me understand this piece of text better. So <coughs> we start out, in Jude chapter five or chapter one, verse five, right? So in Jude, there's actually only one chapter, like that's the whole thing. And there's only uh, 25 verses. So it's basically just like Jude 25. Like you don't have to say Jude 125 because it's only one chapter. So Jude 25. So in verse 20 or in verse five, uh, that's where we started out with. But before that, it is basically, uh, Jude writing about false teachers and the judgment that they're going to receive. False teachers being people who are perverting the word of God or are just teaching things that are not in alignment with God's will. So we start out in verse five, and I'm just going to read the verse and then kind of dive into what we talked about in Bible study. So it says in verse five, and I'm going to read to verse 11. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains and under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, so these people meaning the false teachers, were lying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the, when, the arch, when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, meaning the false teachers, blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So that's a really heavy piece of text and it's actually really confusing, but because we went down and took it kind of step by step yesterday, I felt like I understood a lot of what was happening. Essentially, Jude is using an analogy, comparing false teachers to these other situations that took place in the Old Testament, these other people who were present in the Old Testament. And he is using these analogies to compare them. That phrase, yet in like manner, hold on, let me pause real quick because my oven want to go off. It want to be like boo doo doo doo, but like it didn't want to finish cooking all my stuff on time. So let's go ahead and head over to the kitchen because it want to say it's off. It want to say it's done. It actually looks really good, though. Ooh, that looks delicious. That looks delicious. Oh, my gosh. Okay. But anywho, basically, Jude is saying in this situation, he is saying, yet in like manner. You see that phrase used in verse 5. And that phrase in verse 5 shows us this connection between what he was previously talking about and then what he is now talking about. So he is comparing those first couple of verses to the false teachers that he is trying to uh, talk about 
to these people that he's writing to, right? So he's writing to these people, trying to let them know, hey, y'all, listen, there's false teachers out here, and there's going to be a judgment for false teachers. And here are some examples of people who were judged previously, and in that same manner, in that same way that they were judged, so too the false teachers will be judged. Sorry. What was interesting about this, though, was the fact that in this situation, uh, Jude is now giving us kind of a setup. He's a good writer. And one thing I love about the Bible is the way that these people are actually like genuinely good writers. Like the Holy Spirit is inspiring this. Yes, of course. But the way in which they are writing is actually structured in ways that we teach students nowadays. I remember that same day yesterday, literally teaching my students how to find an author's claim and how to find the details that are helping support that author's claim. We, that was our learning target, our objective in a fourth grade classroom, literally that same day, yesterday, we learned about that. And so I applied that when we were doing our Bible study because I was like, that's the same thing Jude is doing. Jude is the author in this situation and Jude has a claim. Jude's claim is that false teachers will be judged. You can see it by the header. The header says judgment uh, on false teachers. So his whole topic throughout this entire section is about judgment on false teachers. And he begins his writing by having these explicit pieces of evidence, these explicit supporting details that are supporting his claim. His claim is that false teachers are going to be judged. And he's like, now here is everything that I'm going to line out for you so you can understand why this claim that I'm saying is actually true. It's backed by evidence. And so he goes back and grabs text evidence from the Old Testament and proves that here. He lines it up in such a way that it proves that what he's saying is true, that he's not just pulling this out of his butt. He's not just somebody yelling from the rooftop something random that he just thought of. But no, this is something that is spirit-led that can be proven by text evidence. He said false teachers are going to be judged, and he goes back in the Old Testament, uses that as his text evidence to support his claim. All right, so he has his supporting things that he's got going on, and he actually does it in threes. So the first thing is he has a group of three. So he has three groups that he mentions. When you go to verse five, he mentions the Israelites. These were the group of people who were unbelieving. And so when they left Egypt, they did not believe that God was going to let them see the promise. <laughs> they did not believe that God was going to let them see the promise that he had promised them, correct? And so these people who were unbelieving, were destroyed. You see in verse five, it literally says the Israelites, hold on, let me go to it. It literally says, uh, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, so you once knew this, now you're forgetting it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So when they first started this out, they, he's saying basically, just like the Israelites who were unbelieving, and now they have been destroyed. Now they were destroyed because they did not believe. So too, the false teachers will be. So he's making these analogies, these comparisons, using past examples to show how that relates to the present. One thing that we did in our Bible study was we went through, talked about the verses, and then we watched a video by Jackie Hill Perry, where she actually goes through and explains this in kind of like a sermon-like manner. And she, I created this little like T-chart because that's, kind of the vision that I was getting when she was speaking, and I wanted to write this down very quickly. But basically she was saying that there was a group 
this first group that was mentioned, remember there's three groups. And then later on, Jude talks about three people as his supporting details, as his examples. But he starts off with Israel. And the character traits of Israel was that they had unbelief, that they did not trust God at his word, and they did not take God seriously. And so then the consequences of this character trait is that they were destroyed. And the context of this, I liked how she used all seeds because it kind of brought it together. But the context of this was in Egypt, was as they were uh, escaping Egypt, being freed from slavery, correct? So those who were uh, unbelieving were destroyed. And so Jude uses that first piece of evidence, that first example to support his claim. He's saying, all right, false teachers are going to be judged. And just like the Israelites were judged for their unbelief, judged because they did not believe in God, so too false teachers are going to be judged because they don't believe in God. Because false teachers are people who are unbelieving. They don't believe in the full character of God. False teachers, and I, I think what's interesting is false teachers is such a, a broad category because nowadays there are so many people that are false teachers. Like I think of false teachers not just being people in the church, but I think of false teachers being anyone who proclaims to be from God or proclaims to, to know God or just is assuming a role of authority in which they have not been given from God. And they are now using that authority to perpetuate their own agenda and their own advice. And so what's difficult is it's hard to know who are false teachers and who are not because everybody has a platform now to share. Everybody has an opportunity, which can be good in some situations, giving people a voice. But sometimes people are at a stage where they are not able to contribute anything of value to other people's lives and their false teachings actually lead people astray. And so you hear a lot of people who have YouTube channels or have podcasts sharing all this information and sharing all this advice, actually leading people astray because they're not God-centered, because they're not spirit-led. And that made me feel convicted because it made me want to make sure that as a physical teacher, that I am ensuring what I am sharing with my students, the advice that I'm giving my students and those around me in my community is actually spirit-led because I don't want to be a false teacher. You know what I mean? And so I think of like people like I watch these YouTubers all the time who are like Q&A videos. People are asking them for advice. And then these people are giving advice and saying, this is what you should do. That's false teaching when it doesn't align with what God actually wants us to do. And so it made me actually even reconsider who am I watching and why do I enjoy watching them? Is this somebody who is contributing to my life in any way? You know what I mean? And so I just think that it's very interesting that that brought that kind of awareness to my mind. And so false teachers are just people who are unbelievers, people who do not believe in the entirety of God. And you can notice these people by the fruit that they produce. The fruit that they produce is unbelief. They don't believe in God. And they don't believe that God who is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. And the thing about believing in God is that there is a difference. There is kind of different components to believing in God. Believing in God in his entirety is to believe that he not only exists, but believe that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do, that his character remains true to what he said in his word. And so when you really think about it, it's like people who say they believe in God, but they only believe in his existence don't actually believe in God. Because if you just believe in somebody's existence, that doesn't mean that you actually believe in them. You know what I mean? God wants us to believe in him, not just his existence. He wants us to believe in who he is, his entire being. 
And so that includes his character. That includes his word. And so if you say, if you hear people say like, oh yeah, like I, I think that there is a God, but I don't believe in the Bible. That's not believing in God. That's just believing in the existence of God, but that's not believing in God himself. And then almost of a sort, it's almost denying his existence because to, it's like kind of tricky because to say that he's not who he is almost denies that he even exists because God existing is already him saying who he is. And like, I don't know, it's just kind of tricky waters. But basically, false teachers, just like the Israelites, are unbelieving and just like the Israelites will be judged and destroyed because of their unbelief, period. Next thing is that he uses in verse six, another example. So this is another group of people. We have the Israelites as our first group of people. His second group of people that he uses to support his claim, to support his argument that false teachers will be judged. The second group of people is actually angels. And so he says in verse six, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, I had to look at this in my footnotes because when they were talking about angels, I got excited because I was like, yeah, like God's angels, yada, yada, Susan. But then I started thinking about like the context of this situation. And I was like, I don't think that they're referencing. I don't think that Jude is referencing angels in this situation in a positive light. I don't think that he's representing or referencing the angels that God has sitting up in heaven with him because he's talking about angels sitting in gloomy darkness. Like what? Like, what do you mean gloomy darkness? And so I looked at my footnotes as we were in Bible study, and it basically says that some scholars think that this sentence refers to the fall of the angels from heaven. So when they chose to chose Satan over God, that those are the angels who are now in eternal change under chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Some people also think that it refers to Genesis 6, 1 through 4, when angels actually were sent down by God to do something. And they actually kind of went away from their purpose, deviated from their purpose of sorts, and found themselves attracted to the humans who were down on earth, and then ended up having babies with the children. And what Jackie Hill Perry said in her sermon was that, or it's not really a sermon, more so of a study of the word of God, but uh, whatever. When she said in her message was that regardless of, oh, wait, no, no. What she said in her message was that the angels basically did not do their purpose, which was to serve God. Their purpose was to serve God. And yet they served themselves by sleeping with those women and having those children. And so what I found interesting was as we were talking in Bible study, regardless of which one it is, the point is not that is it fallen angels that he's talking about from when Satan was going against God? Or is it the angels who were sent down and ended up having, like, it's not about which one is it, but it's about what, what do we see both of those situations as? Both of those situations are examples of rebellion. So regardless of which one Jude is referencing in this text, both of them are situations of rebellion where they are purposefully choosing to disobey God. And so what I wrote down was that rebellion is direct disobedience, it is delayed disobedience, or delayed obedience, and it is deviating, choosing what you want to do. Now, this is something Kamari and I reference all the time because I actually had to have a conversation with one of my students who directly disobeyed me and delayed his obedience, so he still did it, 
but he didn't do it when I asked him to do it. And so we had this whole conversation and we laugh about it now, but I genuinely had this whole conversation with him that I was like, you have directly disobeyed me. And on top of that, you have delayed your obedience. And both of those are forms of disobedience. And so I went through explaining to him that and I made him repeat it back to me. And so when I saw this situation of rebellion with the angels, it made me think of that. It made me call back to and make connections with what happened before where I was like, these angels directly disobeyed God. Like they directly disobeyed him. God said, go down here and do what you need to do. And they said, nah, man, I want to do what I want to do. They had delayed obedience or possibly might have had delayed obedience. Rebellion is also delaying your obedience, waiting until you feel like doing what you want to, what God wants you to do rather than doing what God wants you to do when you want, when God wants you to do it. And then also deviating, like choosing what you want to do instead of doing what he wants you to do. So you might have started out on the right track, but then still chose what you wanted to do. And that convicted me because I was like, I do that all the time. Like I directly disobey God or I delay my obedience for God doing it when I feel like doing it or I deviate from what I know God wants me to do. And so it's very difficult to sit here and look at these angels and be like, oh, passing judgment on him because I do the same thing. And so I have to be very cautious of not being a false teacher because I would be living in rebellion. I am living in rebellion in that same way. And so just like these angels, however, who rebelled against God, they now they're uh, so basically the angels is the group. Their character trait was rebellious. They were in rebellion. They left their proper place, the place that God had put them and or the place that God had carved for, out for them to go. They had left that proper place and they had gone against God. They went against what God wanted to do. That was their character trait. And so the consequence of their character trait or doing those actions was that they were kept in chains until judgment. Like the thing is, is they didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. And so now they have to do what God wants them to do. God said, hey, y'all go down here, do what I need y'all to do. And they said, nah, man, we ain't really feeling it. And God said, you're going to sit here <laughs> and you're going to practice obedience. <laughs> Okay, so basically, that's what I told the student. When I was talking to the student and I told him about his disobedience to me, I said, you're going to sit here and you're going to practice obedience today. And that's literally what God said to these angels. God said to these angels, oh, you didn't want to obey me? You wanted to have direct disobedience? You wanted to deviate from what I told you to do? Oh, okay. Well, you're going to sit here in these gloomy chains in this gloomy darkness, you are going to sit here and practice obedience. You are going to sit here and you ain't got no other choice but to obey me now because I put you here. And so that was their consequence. They, he said, it says he has kept them, meaning they did not have another option. They didn't get a choice this time. The first time they got a choice, they got a choice to either obey or disobey God. Now they don't have a choice. God has kept them in that moment. I literally remember telling my student, I said, you will not get up. I said, until I tell you, you can get up. I don't care if you want to drink a water. I don't care if you want tissues. I don't care what you want to do. You will sit here and you will read this book. He was reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid, y'all. You will read this book until I tell you to get up. And if you want to hear more about the whole story, uh, you can check out my previous podcast, Shameless Plug. Uh, you can check out my previous podcast where I think I talked about it. But no, you will sit here in these chains until I tell you to get up. Because when I tell you to get up, that's when you're going to come and face the judgment, right? Until I tell you to get up, though, 
You're going to sit there and practice obedience. That's what he told them angels. And so that is the same thing for false teachers is that false teachers can be recognized by their rebellion of God. If they are not in alignment with God, if they are directly disobeying God through his word or what he has said, if they are having delayed obedience where they're doing things in their own time, or if they are deviating from what God has said, then they are in rebellion to God. And you can recognize a false teacher by their rebellion to God. And so that says to me that if you gonna rebel, as a false teacher, Jude is trying to say to us as the audience, as the listeners, as the readers, he's trying to say to us, just like these angels who chose to rebel against God, they are now sitting in chains and God is keeping them in their place. So too, these false teachers will experience the same thing. They who choose to rebel against God, who choose to go against what he has said, will sit there until God says, they can get up, period. And so it made me say to myself, I need to be careful to not be a false teacher and make sure that I am not in rebellion to God. And Lord Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, I come before you real quick because I just want to say this before I move on, that I pray that I am not a person of unbelief, that I believe entirely who you are, God, that I don't just believe your existence, but God, I actually believe that you are who you say you are. You will do what you say you will do. I believe in your promises. I believe in who your character is, God. And I pray that that sticks with me forever and that it actually increases and grows, that I grow in my belief of you, God. And I also pray that I am a person who does not rebel against you, God, that I do not disobey directly or that I do not have delayed obedience or that I do not deviate from your will. And even when I do, God, that I come repentantly before you, that I come humbly before you, God, because I want to make sure that I am not a false teacher, God, that I am not teaching from my own knowledge, but I am teaching from you, God, that I'm teaching from what you have stored up in your word, what you have stored up in your heart, God, and that I can truly be a vessel for you, not tainted with my own unbelief or tainted with my own rebellion. And see, that's, oh, by the way, amen, thank you, God. But that's the, that's the problem with false teachers is that their teaching is tainted with their own rebellion, tainted with their own sin, tainted with their own uh, unbelief. And it's difficult because all of us, everything we do in life is tainted with unbelief, rebellion, and sin because we are sinful human beings. But the difference with a false teacher is that these people have been put in positions of authority. And so when you are given a position of authority, there is a responsibility that is required of you. And so while you still may slip and fall, that should not be your lifestyle. You should not be living a lifestyle of unbelief. You should not be living a lifestyle of rebellion against God when you are in a position of authority that God has given you. You know what I mean? And so as a teacher, you need to make sure that you are not living these lives that are not in alignment with God. And actually, there's a verse. Let me look it up. Because there's a verse that actually says something to the effect of, um, like, don't be quick to become a teacher because teachers have a lot of responsibility. Let me look it up. Uh, that verse about teaching. Oh, wait, about not being quick to be a teacher in the Bible. Because I want to see where they said that at. Okay, okay, okay. So James chapter 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't want to read the message, though. I want to read a... Uh... Um, 
Y'all ain't got no other version? Okay, I know it's James 3, verse 1. So let me look that up in my Bible app. You know, got to use you version. So let's look up James 3, verse 1. Uh, no, I said James 3. Y'all, what is going on today? I, I'm baffled. Okay, so in James chapter 3, verse 1, ESV version, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth, and then he, I think this is when he goes on and talks about the tongue and the importance of what you say. But the main chunk that I want to reference right now in this moment is not many of you should become teachers because we know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I mean, I guess I like the message version where it says, don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards. Basically, when we're talking about false teachers, it's not that God is just like, oh, you messed up. Oh, I'm about to punish you. No. But there is a responsibility that lies with you as a teacher. And so when you're a false teacher and you're living in ways that are ungodly, in ways, I actually wrote this down because somebody said in Bible study that ungodly means not reverent to God. So when we live in ways that are not reverent to God and you have that position of a teacher, a position of authority, a position of molding minds, you have a responsibility. Anywho. Those were the first two groups that Jude uses to support his claim. The next detail that he uses to support his claim where he goes and grabs text evidence and brings it back to put it into context of what he's trying to say is when he's talking about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. So in verse 7, it says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example, but undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So I like that he says serve as an example because he's basically lining it out plain as day for us, step by step. He's like, verse five, here's an example. Verse six, here's an example. Verse seven, here's an example. And now my teacher mind, my mind that's used to like, organizing stuff in such a structured way is like, yo, Jude, I see where you're coming from now because you're putting us in this example of like, whether you're a group of people or an individual, this is how this applies to you. And here's a couple of examples for you to better understand the claim that I'm trying to make. So he goes on to Sodom and Gomorrah and basically this group of people, Sodom and who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, those two cities and the surrounding cities around them, they chose sexual immorality they chose to have unnatural lust, to have no restraint in lust or passions, and they justified their sexual proclivity. <coughs> this is all stuff that Jackie Hill Perry says in her uh, thing. So the consequence of them having those character traits of sexual immorality is that they now face eternal fire, right? That was their punishment. They face eternal fire. And so the context that she actually gave was in Genesis 19. So this is actually where the story of Sodom and Gomorrah takes place is Genesis 19. So now they're facing that consequence of eternal fire because they're choosing sexual immorality. They're choosing to indulge in things and fulfilling their desires, but not in a godly way, not in a way that is reverent to God. And so what we learn about this in connection to false teachers is that false teachers can be seen by their sexual immorality. 
false teachers can be seen by their fulfillment of their desires, but in an ungodly way, in a way that is not reverent to God. So in order to, because this is what Jude is trying to let us know. He's trying to let us know these are not only the character traits of false teachers, but these are, this is how you know, this is how you know whether or not somebody is a false teacher or not. Because our goal is not to be swayed by false teachers. Our goal is to not be in alignment with false teachers, but to be in alignment with God and the teachers that he has appointed and the teachers that he has been using as vessels. And so false teachers are people who were able to recognize by the fruit that they produce. And the fruit that they produce are evident in their character traits. And therefore, they will have these consequences. So it's evident of a false teacher when they are person, people who are in positions of authority and enacting sexual immorality. And their consequence is eternal fire. And we see that listed in verse 7. So Jude says all of this, he says all of this in order to support his point, which is false teachers will be judged. His claim, the author's claim, false teachers will be judged. And now he's giving all these supporting details, this text evidence that he's gone and found in order to be like, here is what you need to know. And here is why you need to know it. And I really find it interesting because this is literally what we're teaching our students to do right now. Like literally fourth grade curriculum right now is teaching our students that you need to have a thesis, make a claim, find the supporting evidence that you need in your text, use that supporting evidence to help you write about your thesis. Not only are we doing that in writing, but then in reading, we're flipping the script and we're looking at the author and we're trying to find what did the author write about? What was their claim? And then what are the supporting details? And so Jude is saying, false teachers are gonna be judged we know that false teachers are going to be judged because we've seen judgment in the past of people who have done these things. And so therefore, because they are doing these things, they will also be judged. False teachers are people who are unbelieving, people who are in rebellion to God, and people who engage in sexual immorality. And the consequences of this is that they are going to be destroyed. They will be kept in chains until judgment, meaning they will be kept by God in whatever capacity until judgment and they will experience eternal fire. Those are the consequences of those actions. Now, Jude not only says this to get us thinking about the character traits of these people, but he says this because he wants us to be able to recognize the fruit of false teachers. Because the thing about false teaching is that it's different to fall versus for this to be characterizing you. Like, it's different for you to slip up in sexual immorality versus being characterized, being known by your sexual immorality. Those are two different things. And so he's trying to let us know, when we sin, there is forgiveness, there is grace. But when you're characterized by this, when this is your lifestyle, when you are constantly choosing this, it's not okay. And so that was convicting for me because it made me say, I want to make sure I'm not characterized by this. I want to make sure that I am so in alignment with God that when I slip up, there's grace and there's forgiveness and I can go back to him in repentance and confess that this is how I've sinned, but that this is not what characterizes me, that I'm not characterized by unbelief, that I'm not characterized by rebellion, that I'm not characterized by uh, immorality, sexual immorality, 
but rather I am characterized characterized by God and the fruit of the spirit. I want that to be the fruit that people see and that God sees from me. Um, and so, yeah, he goes on then after that to reference three people. So he references three groups, the Israelites, the fallen angels, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he goes on to reference three people. So I like that he did that in kind of groups of three because it shows that he has supporting details to let us know, hey, I'm not fooling around with y'all. Like there's evidence to back up what I'm saying. So he goes on from the three groups of people to three individual people. He talks about Cain, right? So we see uh, in verse, we see in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So something that uh, Jackie Hill Perry mentioned was that it's a progression. They walked in the way of Cain and then they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain and then they perished. So you walk, you abandon, and then you perish. And I like that progression because it's like everybody starts off walking thinking, ah, it's fine, it's manageable. I'm just, I'm not really disobeying God. I'm just whatever. You walking in it. But then when you start abandoning and then you perish because of that abandonment, that's that progression, that slow progression that happens that causes us to end up in not in alignment with God. Um, and so what's interesting about this is he, she, Jude talks about Cain. So Jude talks about Cain and he's showing that like this character trait is direct disobedience. That Cain, you know, he didn't take heed to what God said. God was literally like, yo, Cain, I know that you feel like the sin rising up in you right now. The darkness is rising up in you right now. What you need to do is you need to not make that decision. You need to choose to do better. And what did Cain do? He went ahead and killed his brother. Genesis 4. He went ahead and killed his brother. And so that is direct disobedience because God told him what he needed to do and he didn't do it. And how many of us are like that? where We're like, oh, like God said this and we just don't do it because we just don't want to do it. Because we see what we see and we think what we think and we're not thinking from God's perspective. We're not seeing from God's perspective. So that was the character trait that characterized Cain, that he was directly disobeying God. He also was loveless because he did not have a love for his brother. And Jackie Hill Perry said that any place where there is not love, there is hate. So any place where there is love, there's not hate. But love and hate cannot operate in the same place. So because he did not love his brother, he therefore hated his brother. You know what I mean? Um, and then Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 verses or Numbers chapter 22 through 24, you see Balaam and I forgot um, really what happened. Let me run to it real quick. Numbers 22 through 24, but then also Numbers chapter 25 verses 31. So I'm going to run over to Numbers 31 five first. Let me mark my place so I can remember when I come back. Okay. <clears throat> also, I'm going to get a, a drink of water real quick. Okay, numbers 25. Bam, got it. <laughs> got it. All right, numbers 25, 31. Numbers 25. Um, I don't see a 31. Did I? <laughs> Did I write that down right? Did I write that down right? Basically, what I'm seeing is that they, Balaam, Oh, I remember the story. Okay, so I don't remember fully, but basically I think what happened was, no. Okay, here's what I encourage you to do. Go back, read Numbers 20 through, 22 through 24 for your own self. 
don't just take it off of what I'm saying. But what happened was Balaam was the guy that was riding a donkey. And I forgot why, but for some reason, God had allowed the donkey to talk in order to convict Balaam. And then Balaam believed in God. And then later, 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 come to find out that Balaam actually started leading people astray because he wanted to gain money. And so basically the point here, and when you go back to, excuse me, when you go back to Jude uh, and you go back to verse nine, I mean, verse 11, it says, abandon themselves for the sake of gain. Balaam had abandoned himself for the sake of gain. Like he had done anything to gain financially, but that applies in so many situations, not just financially. Like if you abandon yourself to just gain anything, then that is the character trait that is not conducive to being in alignment with God. The only thing you should abandon in order to gain is abandon yourself to gain God. Like you should abandon your old life to gain God. Like that's the only thing we should abandon in order to gain. Otherwise, it's selfish. If we are abandoning God in order to gain the world, if we are abandoning uh, love in order to gain money, anytime we are putting something else above God, that is when we are doing anything for our own personal gain. And so Balaam is an example that Jude uses. And he's like, yeah, this is descriptive of the false teachers, that the false teachers, just like Balaam, are doing anything for gain. They are doing anything to put themselves at the top. Just like Cain, these false teachers are directly obeying God, doing anything so that they can do what they want to do. And then the last person that Jude compares the false teachers to is Korah. And I think in this situation, uh, you can go back to number 16 to read about this situation in order to know what happened. But basically, Korah did not like Moses and did not like what Moses was doing. And so he was like, y'all, let's get together. Let's go against Moses. So he gathered about 250 men and he was like, y'all, let's go against Moses. Now, mind you, Moses is the authority that God has put in place. And so when you go against authority that God has put in place, you're not submissive to that authority. Then you are directly disobeying God because you not you have not obeyed who he has put in authority. There's even a verse that says submit to authority. I forgot where it is. I think it's in Matthew. But there's a verse that talks about submission to authority. That even in situations where it might be like, oh, I don't want to submit to this person. That if they are there, that's because God has allowed it. And so we have to submit. And so basically Korah did not want to submit. And so he gathered some people with him who he like, they were all like, you know, we ain't going to submit to Moses. And so then lo and behold, after gathering all these people up to be like, we ain't going to listen to you. Him and his whole family got swallowed up. It was like a sinkhole. They all got swallowed up in the earth. Like that was the consequence. And so Cain, Balaam and Korah all are examples of the traits that we see in false teachers as well. False teachers, people who are not in alignment with God and are in these positions of authority teaching people these things are in direct disobedience to God. They are loveless. They do anything for gain and they deny Jesus Christ. They refuse to submit to the authority that is put in place. And so I just loved doing this Bible study so much because I felt like it enlightened my brain and it just caused me to just be lit on fire. Like literally I was like, I participated so much and that was my first Bible study being a part of. And I just loved it. I forgot how much I truly enjoyed uh, Bible study. And so that's basically what Jude does. Jude uses these analogies, these comparisons, these examples 
this evidence from the Old Testament in order to support his claim that false teachers are going to be judged. And he's like, I want you to know that false teachers are not only going to be judged by God, but this is how you can discern and judge who is a false teacher and who is not. You can see by the fruit that they produce whether or not they are false teachers. But what's important about this, and I want to head back over to uh, verse 8 for a second. Verse 8 says, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams. Relying on what? Not God, not relying on the spirit, but relying on their dreams, their wishful thinking. They're relying on their dreams and they defile the flesh. They defile themselves. They reject authority. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. My Bible says that uh, basically the glorious ones is like referencing like angels and like basically just God's divine, divine placement. Uh, and then he says, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said the Lord rebuke you. Now we talked about this in my Bible study. And we basically talked about the fact that Michael I love Michael. He's a good angel. Michael was like, okay, he's sitting over here and he's talking. Now, listen, the whole body of Moses thing, I don't know what that, that's referencing. I don't understand that part. But what I do understand is Michael's actions. And actually, my Bible even says that, like, it even says that the, the uh, story that Jude is referencing, there's no evidence for that. Like, there's no, like, part of scripture that that references where Michael is contending with the devil over Moses's body and that that translation or that uh, piece of piece of scripture that he's referencing might have gotten lost or something of that sort or it might have just been something but regardless we're not going to get down to the nitty and the gritty we're not going to fight about whether or not this is a true story or not regardless the point still stands that Michael rather than taking it upon himself to judge the devil, said, Lord, I'm gonna let you take care of this. So the Lord rebuke you, the Lord correct you, the Lord take care of you, because that's not my place. Michael recognized his place. One thing about Michael, he recognized his place. He said, I know this is above me now. <laughs> he said, this is above me now, and he knew his place. So basically, he's contending with the devil, and that word contending, I don't really, I should probably look it up. But it's interesting because the verbs here change. So the first verb talks about Michael contending. But then the verb changes to disputing. And then the verb goes to him not presuming blasphemous, blasphemous judgment. So it starts off with contending, which is like the whole point of this Bible study is contending for faith, right? And so it starts off with contending, which I'm about to look up the word contending because I don't know the word. Contending, definition. Contending means to assert something as a position in an argument. So basically to make a claim. Yes, okay, so literally authors claim what we're teaching these fourth graders is what contending is. You are making a claim and you are trying to let other people know why, and the, here's the evidence for why my claim is true and why you should also believe in my claim. And that's exactly what authors do. They make a claim, they make a thesis, and they're like, here's why you should also think this thing too. And so Michael's contending with the devil, but then it comes to be a dispute over Moses' body. And we don't know the reason why, 
And we don't know what happens in this situation because it doesn't tell us. And where the Bible is silent, as my mom always says, where the Bible is silent, we should remain silent. So I'm not going to sit here and talk about why they was arguing and what they was arguing. No, no, no. But what we see here is we see a change. We see a change in Michael's response to the devil. We see a change in the way that he's now interacting. In the beginning, he's interacting, contending. Then he gets to a point. There's a switch in this, this contention. There's a switch in this interaction. There's a switch in this conversation, a pivot, if you will, where he's like, all right, there's no longer any more contending. It's above me now. God will rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And so Michael knew his place and he knew that he was not one to pronounce judgment on the devil. That's not his place. He is merely an angel. Who is he to say the devil? Who is he to say to the devil, this is what's going to happen to you? And da, da, da. Like, that's not his place. He recognized that that was God's place and he let that thing go. It's just like when you're with your siblings and they do something that you don't like or they do something bad. And everybody in the house knows it's bad. You know that's against your parents' will, your parents' desires, your parents' rules. But are you the one that whoops your siblings? No. You wait till your parent come home and you tell them about what happened and you let them do the whooping. Because ain't nobody going to whoop each other in the household other than the parents whooping the children. That's all that happened. You know what I mean? So it's like we cannot whoop our siblings. We cannot whoop other people in this earth. But we can leave that up to God. God is the one that pronounces judgment, the one that pronounces punishment, the one that gives the consequences of our actions. And so Michael knew that and he stayed in his place and he recognized I have a certain part that I can play. I can contend. I can assert this claim. I can give evidence. I can whatever, whatever. But there's a certain place where it's like, nah, man, I got to back up because it's above me now. And that's what Michael recognized. So basically, that was the whole thing. And uh, you know what I mean? I have a couple more, a couple more points. Um, Michael's response was an example of how we ought to respond when we are faced with false teachers. It's not our job to sit here and judge false teachers and be like, hey, you a false teacher. And that like we may, God may give us the spirit to contend with that false teacher in order to bring them toward Christ and conviction. But it really has to be spirit led. You cannot sit here and make a decision to say, okay, I want to bring this person to Christ. No, you have to be led by the Spirit. Because if you're not led by the Spirit, then you're out of alignment with God. And that's something I got to be really cautious of and cognizant of is that I'm in alignment with God and I'm not leaning on my own spirit, leaning on my own self, I mean. Um, another thing that I wanted to say was that, uh, what's her name? Jackie Hill Perry. She said that sin is our disregard of God's holiness. Another thing that I loved that she said was that a God who didn't care about right and wrong wouldn't care about consequences. And that hit me. That hit me upside the head. I was like, Jackie, you know what? You got to slow down, girl. You got to slow down. A God who didn't care about right and wrong, who didn't care about justice, because remember, justice is right and wrong. Like, justice is right. Injustice is, is wrongdoing. And so a God who didn't care about justice, who didn't care about right and wrong, would not care about consequences. Because with every right action, there's a consequence. And with every wrong action, there's a consequence. With every moment of justice, there's a consequence. 
But then with every moment of injustice, there's a consequence. Remember, consequences are just the results of your actions. And so God would not be God if he did not give to us the consequences that we deserve for our actions. But what's interesting is that we actually deserve worse than what he gives us, to be real. Like, he has been so graceful in giving us his son that we didn't even have to face the consequences of our sins. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus down because we don't even have to face the entirety of the consequences of our own sin. That's what Jesus faced. And yet, there are still consequences that we must face as a result of the actions that we do. Whether we're doing right or whether we're doing wrong, there are consequences to be faced. And since God cares about justice, he cares about consequences. And I see that in my teaching all the time, is as a teacher, because I care about my class, because I care that my students know that when you are um, acting rightly, when you are doing what is right, there is a reward. And that when you are acting out of alignment with what our classroom rules are, when you are acting wrong, then there is a consequence. There is a punishment that goes with that. You're going to sit here until you learn obedience. Or you're going to miss so many minutes of recess. Or you're going to lose a point in your binder. Because these are the consequences that come with your actions. <coughs> God wouldn't be a good God if he didn't give us the consequences of our actions. And while he does not, he withholds a lot of those consequences, the wrath of those consequences because of him having his son die on the cross for us, but there are still consequences that we face. And there are still things that God chooses to to do in order that we might learn right from wrong or in order that we may be able to say, I knew this was wrong and I still did it and to learn from those situations. Because when, I'm, when I am uh, uh, giving my students the consequences of their actions, punishing them, it's not because I want to be mean. Like, I love my students, and I let them know every single time that I punish them. I let them know, I'm not doing this because I just don't like you. I'm doing this because I love you, and I want you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And so when I'm telling you you're going to sit here till you learn how to obey, that's not because I'm trying to be mean. That's not because I'm trying to make you obey me. But that's because I am telling you to do things that are beneficial for you. And I want you to be the best version of yourself, but also be some, uh, be respectful and responsible and safe around the other people around in the classroom because you're not the only person in the classroom. You're not the only person that matters. There's a lot of people in here that matter. Everybody matters. And so the consequences of your actions are not just because of, oh, I don't like you, but it's because of the way that your actions have affected others and have affected yourself. And so that is something that God tries to remind us all the time, that our actions aren't just isolated into whatever, and they don't just affect us. They affect everyone around us. And so we have to be very cognizant of that. We have to be very cautious of that. And we have to make sure that we go to God and receive his discernment um, and all of that stuff like that. So I just going to pray this out real quick. This was really long, but it was really in depth and I really enjoyed it. I did not realize how much I genuinely love reading. I mean, I knew I, I know I love reading the Bible, but like just being able to study it in a different way than I've studied it before. I just forgot how much I really enjoyed spending time in the word of God and actually studying it and being enlightened by it and having conversations about it. And quite frankly, sometimes I'm, I'm really glad that I have this podcast because sometimes in Bible study, I can be a bit OD. Like I am definitely that person that like when I was in class, I, rose, I raised my hand all the time. 
because I'm always like my brain is always chugging, 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 chugging. Like my brain is always thinking and I'm always making connections and wanting to share these connections because I get so excited about it. And so sometimes I have to be very conscious of like how frequently I'm participating. And so sometimes I do feel limited in Bible study because I'm like having to be like, okay, Hannah, don't say this because you already just got off mute. Like, don't say this because like you already jumped in a million times. And it's harder too when you're on Zoom because people aren't like feeding off of one, one another. And so it feels like you're trying to take center stage every time. And I don't want to do that. So I'm really glad that I have this podcast because I knew that I like, as soon as I was in Bible study, I was like, I know I'm going to make a podcast off of this. That way I'm able to share all of the thoughts that I have without feeling like I'm uh, trying to restrain myself like socially, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, I just want to thank you God that I have this podcast to be able to kind of reflect and, and release in. And I'm also grateful that I was able to study Jude for this little segment that we were reading and that it just made so much sense and I'm so grateful Lord and I'm just going to pray us out so dear God thank you for uh this session that we were able to review what I learned yesterday in Bible study God I thank you so much for all the learning and teaching that is going on God and I just praise your name that my brain is being brain is being enlightened and that I'm feeling my brain expand I thank you so much that you are a gracious God that you don't give us the full effects of our consequences Lord but that you extend grace and Lord, I thank you that because you are also gracious and loving, that you also allow us to experience some of the effects of our consequences to the degree that you want, God, that we are able to learn from them, God, and we are able to recognize that our actions do have consequences, that our actions have results and outcomes, God, that affect other people and affect ourselves. And so we just pray, Lord, that we become people who are solely focused on you, God, and recognize that we want to have reward as our consequence. We want our consequences to be positive because of the positive actions that we are taking and steps and strides toward you, God. And we know that we're going to fall. And we pray, God, that even when we fall, God, that we would come to you and we would repent, God, and we would confess, Lord, that we are sinners and that we need you, Lord that we are broken people, we are broken and tainted vessels, God, and we don't know what we would do without you, God, that we are completely and solely dependent on you, Lord, that we have no life, nothing without you, Lord. And we just thank you so much for Jude and all that he was sharing about false teaching, God, to remind us of what false teaching looks like and to also convict our own hearts that we might not be false teachers, especially those of us who have been given positions of authority, God, positions where we are able to influence people, God, with what we say and what we do. And I pray, Lord, that me, for me specifically, but also for everyone else out there who is listening or who might be encouraged by reading Jude or doing Jackie Hill Perry's study, that all of us can live a life, God, that is in alignment with you. We're not going to be perfect. We are going to stumble, God, but I pray that it doesn't characterize us, that our sins don't characterize us, that it doesn't become a lifestyle, God, but rather we choose to live in you and we choose to follow you, God. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you help us to be able to discern false teachers and know how we are supposed to respond to that, God. Some situations you might want us to respond by confronting or talking with or contending with those uh, false teachers. And then in some situations, you might want us to not do that. Some situations you might want to have us leave the judgment up to you or have you have a conversation with them. You be the one to rebuke and correct them, Lord. And so I just pray that you help us, God, to know what to do in each situation and that we have discernment. 
And God, if there's any false teachers in our own lives, whether it be through podcasts, whether it be through YouTube videos, whether it be through all these different sources where everyone has a voice and a platform, God, that we recognize whose voices are we allowing to influence us, God, whose voices are we taking in, God, and that we be conscious to make sure that these people are not the voices of false teachers that will lead us astray, that will lead us more toward ourselves, but will lead us toward you, God. And so I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus, all these things in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope that you enjoy. Also, uh, I did this on Thursday because I'm not going to be here on Sunday, but normally I post on Sundays. <laughs> so far, I have. I say that as if I've done that every Sunday. Nope. But today's going to be a Thursday post. Anywho, I'm, I'm just going to let that go. Y'all don't even care. Okay, bye. <laughs>